Welcome to the Celebration Sessions podcast with me, Connor Clear. The Celebration Sessions is a podcast about life, loss and love. As a celebrant, I want to look at how we celebrate, how we fall in love, the milestones we mark and how we can talk about the inevitable loss we'll meet along the way. This is my exploration into the beauty of it all. And it's my reminder to make the most of the important times and how important it is now more than ever to celebrate. So thanks for joining me on the Celebration Sessions podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is you're tuned in. Welcome once again. Connor with you with the first episode of 2022 of the Celebration Sessions podcast. Thanks so much for hitting play or download on this episode. Now, this one for me, equal parts interesting and exciting as we're traveling to Japan for this episode uh, to look at some celebrations that they have there. Now, we've looked at the idea in the past of coming of age on this podcast and certainly how the, the Irish Ethical Celebrant Society celebrate children as they step through their young lives. Now, in looking at that, I came across Coming of Age Day in Japan. So the second Monday of January sees towns and cities across Japan celebrate a coming of age milestone for young adults who turned 20 in the previous year. Now, it's quite the occasion, I believe, uh, quite the rite of passage. And I was so fascinated by it that I wanted to delve a little more into it. And then in doing that, I discovered that Japanese culture has a whole range of different celebrations and ceremonies and rituals to mark different age transitions. So... I'm very excited uh, to learn more about it and I'm thrilled, (laughs) very thrilled uh, to welcome to the Celebration Sessions podcast from Kyoto in Japan and indeed amongst many interesting parts of her life she's uh, a writer, um, an international educator and member of the Kyoto-based literary group Writers in Kyoto. It's Karen Lee Tawariyama. Karen, hello. Hi, Connor. Thank you so much for having me here today. Listen, thank you so much uh, for for your time, for for sharing your time with me. Um, and in fact, your enthusiasm as well in, in, in agreeing to do this. I know the emails <laughs> that we had back and forth have, have been really lovely. Um, it's, it's funny, when I came to you first, I think the idea was that we would just talk about coming of age. But in fact, you're the one who shared so much more with me. Uh, then about some of the other rituals and and occasions, um, and we'll get into them. But I guess let's start with with your journey. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey that brought you to Japan. Okay. Well, actually, it's a really long story. I, I won't keep it too long, but um, uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania in the United States. Okay, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, from my undergraduate program, uh, I joined kind of an alternative program. It was Quaker-based. And uh, it was called the Friends World Program. And we had to study abroad for three years in order to get our undergraduate degree. And there were centers all over the world. Um, So as I traveled during that time, I always had this longing to come to Japan. Um, But actually, I I thought it was quite expensive at that time. Hmm. Uh, But I kept meeting these Japanese people everywhere I went. Um, When I was in my first year in New York, I met a group of Japanese students studying photography. My mother, when I was uh, younger than that, so she hosted um, exchange students. So I met an exchange student from Japan through her. 
And then when I went to India and I was volunteering in uh, what is now Kolkata, uh, I met a group of Japanese volunteers, the Missionaries of Charity, um, and one of them was my husband. Oh, wow. Um, yes. And then oh, uh, finally, when I graduated, I had to decide, well, am I going to go into Peace Corps or do I want to go to Japan to teach English? So I applied to the JET program and uh, I came here in 1999. Oh, my word. What a journey. What a journey. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, I get such a sense that there were so many signs from the universe bringing you and um, sending you almost to Japan. Yes. And I really do believe in that. And actually... As a teenager, I always knew I was going to be in Kyoto for some reason, which is even really? more mysterious. But really? yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there is such um, a beautiful sense in, in Kyoto. I'm, I'm fortunate enough, and I know we talked about this in, in our emails, I'm fortunate enough to have been to Japan and, and to Kyoto. And there's such a magical and a mystical, I think, sense to the city, certainly something I felt when I was there. Well, definitely. I mean, uh, living in Kyoto is magical because one is surrounded by history. Everywhere you go, you see a beautiful temple or shrine. And it is a city, but it's a smaller city. Um, the nature here is just gorgeous. Um, I live about a one minute walk away from the Kamo River, which is a river that flows kind of through the center of the city, more kind of towards Indeed. the east, but um, right next to the Imperial Palace grounds. Nice, um, and nice. the locals go there to walk their dogs, play instruments. Um, you can see uh, beautiful white birds perched in the water, just walking along. It, it is really magical. And the cherry blossoms bloom. I mean, there are cherry trees everywhere. Um, oh so word. I, yeah, I do feel very fortunate to be here i really really love it here oh indeed indeed and 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 hopefully as the world changes and and travel opens back up again i do, I do long i long to be able to get back on a plane and, and 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 get back to japan um even if just to witness something along the lines of and i'm going to try and pronounce this um seijin no he Oh, very good. That's exactly how it's pronounced. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm thrilled. Um, so <laughs> Seijin no He is the coming of age day, um, the second Monday in January. Give us a, a little overview then of, of what exactly this occasion is. Okay. Um, well, in Japan, the, well, the fiscal year and the school year uh, begins on April 1st and goes until, well, the year ends and, and March 31st. Um, so like you said, um, it takes, uh, the Seiji no He takes place on the second Monday of January. And it's for 20 year old, uh, well, those who um, turn 20 from April 1st to March 31st okay, of that course. year. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, so uh, there are many events on that day. Um, preparation takes place way ahead of time. So uh, women who turn 20 uh, in that year, so have to make reservations uh, for their kimono. Uh, they usually wear this beautiful kimono called furisode, which has long hanging sleeves and sometimes these big white furry stoles. Oh, wow. um, and they might borrow it from a family member, but they usually rent it, I would say. And they usually have photographs taken ahead of time, um, you know, commemorative photographs. Um, but on that day, so they will, uh, you know, the females will wake up very early in the morning to maybe get their hair done, to get their kimono put on. Most 
people do not know how to put on their own kimono. So they will go to get really? it fitted for, yes. Oh, so they will go to get okay. it. My mother-in-law is <laughs> licensed for kimono, but most people don't know. So they'll go to get fitted in their kimono, get their hair done, okay. get their makeup done. The uh, men will usually, well, sometimes they wear the traditional clothes, haori hakama, um, in like a, the, the wide pants. You know, it kind of looks like a kimono for men. Um, but these days, they usually wear a suit. Um, but around 12 noon, um, they go to, you know, like a, a public hall, like the city hall or a cultural center or maybe okay. some kind of auditorium. This is organized by the city. And I should also say they usually go back to their hometown um, for this event. So it's kind of like a big reunion with all of their school friends. Um, so they go and they uh, have some lectures by public officials and maybe uh, those who turn 20 before them and those who will turn 20 and then some other entertainment and some fun events like taiko drumming. Um, and wow. then they uh, will maybe uh, go to a shrine or temple to say a prayer. Uh, and in the evening, uh, they will go to drink with their friends to celebrate you know, <laughs> becoming good. an adult. Because that's one of the yeah, things. Yeah, so it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of the, the things that comes with coming of age, I guess. It's the idea of being an adult and what comes with that. So, for example, you're allowed to drink alcohol from the age of 20. Yes, Yes, so the drinking age um, in Japan is 20, and also uh, gambling, hmm. smoking is 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's something I wanted to, may I ask you a question, Connor? Oh, please do, yes, um, yes, yes. So in Ireland, um, what is the threshold for becoming an adult? When does one know that they've become an adult? Um, what is it really? Yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, I'm and, and perhaps why I find this celebration so interesting in Ireland, we don't have an equivalent occasion. Um, you might have an 18th birthday party, but there's no dedicated occasion to becoming a legal adult citizen. Um, when you finish secondary school, you have a Debs, which is a, a formal ball. Um, you might have a, a you know a graduation, but nothing in Irish culture uh, or society to say you know you're now an adult. Um, in the Christian and Catholic community, we have um, communion for eight and nine years uh, of age, which is a religious rite, and then confirmation at around about 12 years, which in fact is a, a similar occasion to the bar mitzvah. You know, you become a, mm -hmm. a soldier of, of Christ. Um, and in fact, as a celebrant, I've been looking at those occasions with my colleagues to see how we can uh, celebrate children in Ireland who may not identify as as Catholic um, and, and how we can celebrate that child and, and the steps forward um, they're making in, in life. So, so look, we're finding new ways to celebrate young people as they develop through adolescence. But, but no, sadly, I, I think to answer your question, aside from, you know, the age of, of across 17 and 18, um, really to mark the step into to legal adulthood, we don't have an occasion, which which is mm -hmm. which is a shame. Well, it, it was the same for me in the United States. Um, as I was thinking about this topic, you know, uh, in the States, we can drive when we're 16. So that was one kind of rite of passage. And then we can vote when we're 18 and then drink when we're 21. 
Um, but this uh, Seiji no Hi, this coming of age day in Japan, is is really, really this a very um, uh, significant threshold into becoming an adult. Um, and mm. in 1945, um, the age for voting uh, changed to 20. So I think that was, um, um, and actually I should say that um, it's written into the civil code of Japan. Um, it was written in, in the Meiji period that coming of a- that the coming of age started at 20. Um, but um, it's really significant too that we're talking about this now because from uh, uh, 2022, the voting age, well, the voting age has already changed to uh, uh, 18, but the coming of age, the adult threshold is also changing to 18 this year. Oh, right. Interesting. So from 2023, January, it will be for 18-year-olds and not 20-year-olds. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I think across, um, well, I think I think across the Western world, anyway, I think 18, 17, 18 is, is seen largely as, you know, that step into um, adulthood. And, mm-hmm. and 20 jumped out at me as I looked at Seiji no Hi um, as being a fraction older than what we're used to mm. on this side of the world, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, tell me this uh, about Seijin no Hi as it's a state event and you're seen as, as an adult in, in the eyes of the law. Is there a spiritual aspect to it as well? Um, yeah. So, uh, so are you familiar with Shinto? I'm, I am. It's the I indigenous am. religion of WS. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that there are a lot of Shinto and Buddhist influences on Japanese culture. But if you ask Japanese people if they're religious, um, they'll say no. But Mm. yet it's, um, you know, Buddhism and Shinto are more a way of life and the whole society is kind of infused with that. So yes, so as part of the Seiji no Hi, sometimes they will go to a shrine or temple uh, to say a prayer. Um, But it's just not the same kind of religion as in the Western world. Indeed, yeah. So, so when you talk about the preparation that happens in the lead up to this, it's more really of a, a, a logistical um, preparation as opposed to perhaps a, a personal preparation. Um, no. Well, I I think that Seiji no Hi requires the young people to to really reflect on uh, the kindnesses of their caregivers until this time. So Japanese culture places a great importance on gratitude uh, for those who support us. So uh, uh, during the ceremony, um, there's usually a representative of the 20 year olds of the new adults who makes a speech and, and talks about that sense of gratitude. Um, And yeah, I, I think that that's a really big part um, mm. of the ceremony in general, ceremony of the whole day, of the whole event. Um, that that's, feeling of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. Um, and a lovely sentiment to include in, in, in the ceremony, to look back and to and to thank your caregivers. Mm. That's, that's really beautiful. Um, I do want to ask about the significance then of the second Monday in January. I think in Japanese culture, am I, am I right in saying, 
there's a lot of importance to numbers and the importance of dates in Japanese culture. Um, so is there a reason then behind the second Monday in January been chosen for, for, um, for Seijin no Hi? I do know that in traditional Asian numerology, so odd numbers are uh, considered lucky. And originally, nice. uh, Seijin no Hi was set for January 15th. Um, but in 1999, there was a Happy Monday system that was introduced by law, which required that um, many public holidays are moved to Mondays in order to create a three-day holiday. Okay. So that's when <laughs> that's when uh, Seiji no Hi moved to the second week, the second yeah, the second Monday of January. But originally, it was January 15th. Oh, that's very interesting. So, so tell me again. Then the the, the mm-hmm. second Monday is Happy Monday. Well, well, the Happy Monday Sedo was a set of laws that said that certain public holidays should be moved uh, to okay, Mondays okay, okay. in order to create these three-day holidays. So right. Seiji no Hi was one of those holidays. Yeah. I see. And, okay. uh, and I think it would be really interesting to mention, too, uh, the real origin of the Seiji no Hi. Oh, indeed. Please May do. May I talk yeah. about that, too? Oh, please uh, do. Because yeah, actually, yeah. Um, it started around the 8th century. Um, so, as you know, so um, the Japanese have a custom of assigning names to different eras. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm not a history expert <laughs> by any means. Um, but um, before the age of the samurai, uh, there was an aristocratic era. Okay. And it started in that period for the children of nobles um, who were, uh, I guess, the average age was about 15. It was mainly for... Uh, for boys to transition from childhood to adulthood. Okay. And this was a custom taken from the Tang Dynasty of China many years ago. Uh, so Japan, you know, brought in many customs from China. Nice. So as it, you know, progressed through the years, and then in the years of the, the samurai as well. So the children of the samurai also went through that rite of passage. Um, and actually that uh, the name of the ceremony was called Genpuku, which really means head and clothes. So they would uh, change their hairstyle. It was a ceremony. They would get their hair cut, get their... Uh, so for the nobles, they would get a new cap for their new role. they get new robes. Right, so change their okay. hairstyle, change their clothes. And in the age of the samurai, they would get their samurai helmet. So then in the Muromachi period, it became uh, uh, common for people of lower ranks, I guess. And then, uh, but more for, you know, a transition to adulthood for getting a job or training. And then the modern day equivalent to Seiji Nohi. And I imagine that evolution has probably continued as well, even within even within the context of the the, the ceremonial dress mm. as well. The the idea that men would wear suits now instead of the the traditional Japanese dress. So that mm-hmm. evolution continues, I guess, does it? Oh yeah, I suppose so. Um, you know, the more I, I talk about this, the more I feel bereft um, <laughs> in Ireland that we don't have an equivalent ceremony you know um, and in fact in looking at, at coming of age ceremonies for the the Irish ethical celebrant society of which I'm a member one of my roles was to look at at the history of coming of age so I did look at different ceremonies through through history through different cultures um, and and really to, to realize how far back they go this is such a a significant step in in life both 
culturally and, and to historically. Mm-hmm. And yes, for younger kids in Ireland, seven and eight year olds, and then later 12 and 13 year olds, we've got gorgeous ceremonies with the with the IECS. But I think that's why it's so lovely to hear about this, Sejin Nohi. It, it seems like such a lovely way to mark that that later step then later on. Um, before we move on, I would love to get a sense of the idea. This obviously is such a, largely a, a group ceremony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you might visit a shrine with family. So is there an individual aspect to the journey as well? No? Um, well, of course, everyone does have to choose their own journey. Um, but this Seiji no Hi is is very much a time of... Um, coming together as a group, going back to your hometown, seeing your old friends, for example, if you've decided to. Uh, so the Japanese um, public school system is elementary and junior high. So many of those original classmates will separate to go to different high schools and then you go to university. So you can go back to your hometown, see your elementary and junior high friends, um, get together, take pictures together. Um, talk together, drink together. So it's, it's that really that kind of cohesive group reunion feeling. That's very nice. Yeah, that's very nice yeah. indeed. Um, well, look, there are a few other ceremonies um, that I do want to touch on as well, ceremonies you shared with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, ones that I found so fascinating mm-hmm. and, and and interesting. So we might just go through a few of them. Um, we might say chronologically. So if we start <laughs> with um, one of the earlier celebrations. Now, again, I'm going to try and pronounce this. So, so please feel free to correct me. Um, so this one is um, Aquizome. Mm, oh, Quizome. Oh, come on, Connor. I was so close. Yes. I was so close. <laughs> uh, um, and this is this is a lovely ceremony. Am I right in saying this marks your first one hundred days? It's it's your first it's your first meal essentially. Yes, that's right. So uh, when a baby is has reached a hundred days, or sometimes one hundred ten, or sometimes one hundred twenty, um, the family will gather together and prepare uh, certain Japanese-style dishes um, to symbolically feed the baby. The baby can't, of course, eat those things yet, but uh, we'll just touch the food to the baby's lips um, as kind of um, showing, uh, it's kind of wishing that the baby will never be hungry. And each of those foods has kind of a symbolism as well. Oh, okay, right. So this this might take place in in a restaurant. I, I mean, it's it's very much a family affair. That's um, right. Yeah. Could it take place in in any range of different locations at home or in in a restaurant, perhaps? Um, I would say usually it takes place at home. Um, you can go to a restaurant to do it, but it um, it would probably be quite expensive to do so. So, okay. um, I would say most people um, just. You know, if you go to a restaurant, they might have this kind of um, um, spectacular little table with little legs on it okay, <laughs> and have the little right. dishes on there. But at home, you might just you might not have that that special dish, but just have the little plates on the table and just go around in order. Um, and interestingly, there's also a stone. You would go to the temple or shrine and pick up the stone and wash it really carefully. And that would be on the table. And it's one of the order as you go around you touch the stone to the baby's lips as well well, very nice very nice now Mm. you mentioned some of the foods there they're 
are three or four different types of foods which represent different things, I believe. Yeah, there's usually um, one soup, three sides, and then uh, a whole sea bream, which in uh, Japanese is called tai, which is kind of symbolic of the word omedetai, which means congratulatory. Um, so it's used for you know, a lot of different occasions. Even on New Year's, some people eat a whole sea bream. They put it on the table. It's kind of a, has a nice little um, ceremonial ribbon or, or decoration on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so and you go nice. in order and uh, touch the chopsticks and the food to the baby's lips. Oh, wow. And, and you know, even from that, I get such a sense of, of ritual uh, to that. I guess ritual plays a large part in it, does it? Yes, yes. Well, everything in Japan has kind of a ritual to it. If you think about yes. like tea ceremony or, you know, any kind of martial arts, there's a certain way to do everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, you mentioned the tea ceremony. I was fortunate enough on that one trip that I had um, when I was in Kyoto uh, as well that oh. I got to see <laughs> a tea ceremony and it was so beautiful it. it was very um very meditative almost mm. it was so relaxing and, and and really great to see um but i think that was actually one of the moments that i started to realize that sense of ceremony mm-hmm. that you have in japan which really fascinated me and, and, and still does um tell me then about okwizume um mm-hmm. No, I've just said that wrong. Did I? No, you said it right. I think you said it right that time. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes! <laughs> Tell me this. Um, Okwizume, it's it's very much a, a family uh, occasion. Would other family members come to, to visit then and take part? Um. So my, my sister-in-law has two sons and she's done Okwizume twice. And, uh, and uh, she, she told me that um, other people usually, but not, it would be, Mostly just family coming. Right. And okay. they don't necessarily bring gifts. It would just be, you know, the food and having the baby there and yeah, taking yeah. pictures of that. Well, very nice. Very nice. It seems like such a, a simple uh, occasion just mm. to mark that little milestone. Um, but the idea that, that you're, you know, 100 days old mm-hmm. um, with the significance and, and symbolism of, of your first meal as well. Um, but then... As you, you step forward, uh, we've got another wonderful, uh, and again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to risk this. Yeah, again. Um, you have Shiji Gosan. Oh, yes. Shiji Gosan. <gasps> yeah, that's right. Brilliant. brilliant. Um, this, is, this is a lovely uh, milestone ceremony for children between the ages of, and, and for Japanese speakers, the, the clue is in the name, um, <laughs> the ages of three five and seven, or in fact, seven, five, five and three. Um, tell us a little about this occasion. Okay. Um, so uh, so originally going back to the uh, very early period, so around the Heian period. Um, so it was thought that um, children were kind of children of the gods before they were, uh, you know, in their middle childhood. And uh, I think... Uh, in the early ages, some a lot of children maybe didn't survive um, for whatever reason. So this is a celebration to welcome the children into their middle childhoods and to um, wish for their long lives. And Shigo-san is not a national holiday, even though it's it's November fifteenth. Um, but families will usually celebrate on a weekend around that date. Usually, girls. Little girls celebrate this holiday when they're three and seven. And for boys, it's age five. 
So when my son was five, we, um, we took him to one of our local shrines and we had made some reservations ahead of time. And if you do so, you can have a picture taken and they'll dress your child up in a very nice um, kimono. Uh, so my son wore this purple haori hakama and um, you go in and you, you say a prayer um, for the child, for their long life. And um, they give the child a chitose um, ame, which is this kind of like long stick just very sweet, red and white, and it's supposed to symbolize a long life. And it's it's given to the child in a in a bag that has some has a crane and a turtle because those symbolize longevity, okay. and also uh, pine and uh, bamboo and plum because those also symbolize longevity. Japan. So the symbols are really important. And, and yeah. again, what's so. what's really jumping out at me is that the significance <laughs> of the symbolism. I mean, that's really wonderful. And again, I'm sensing that that spiritual aspect of it. So you might visit a shrine and, and take that time together. Um, and, and then you might visit you might visit a restaurant. I mean, what what role would would food play in, in the celebration? Yeah, so I, I seem to remember um, after we went to the shrine to pray with my son, so we went to a nice restaurant to have a meal together. Um, and I don't remember there being any specific foods to eat, you know. Um, I, I Just the candy was really, like, my son really <laughs> liked that candy. Yeah, and we still have that bag um, to remind us of that day. Uh, nice, nice. So, so they become mementos and, and keepsakes, I guess, do they? Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And a nice photograph too that we had taken there, yeah. Oh, lovely. And, and you know, I think it's something that I've been intrigued with, especially um, Shiji Gosan. You know, they reflect milestones in, in life, certainly that I've been looking at here in Ireland. So, so to get a window mm-hmm. into to how a similar milestone is celebrated in, in another country is, is really lovely. So, so Karen, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, there is one more that, that we can't leave out and I'd love to include it before we finish <laughs> up. Another age celebration. Um, this is a nice one. Um, I'd love to just touch on Kanreiki. So you mm-hmm. might just give mm-hmm. us a little overview of okay. Kanreiki. Okay. Uh, so Kaniki, um, this tradition originated in China as well. Um, it's celebrated on one's 60th birthday. Um, and, and Connor, are you familiar with the Chinese zodiac? Um, as in, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with its existence. I, would, I wouldn't know too much about it or I wouldn't overly be an expert on it but yeah I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, familiar, I'm familiar with it so yeah. there are 12 animals so right now 2022 we've entered into the year of the tiger um, right. and each of the animals have um, five different earth elements so there's metal water um, wood fire and earth so once you turn 60 you've gone through the chinese zodiac five cycles t- a total of five cycles which oh, means wow. that you're born again Oh, my words. Yes, yes. It's very, very interesting. So, and the word for baby in Japan is akachan. So even, so red has a lot of symbolism in Asia as being a very lucky color, very prosperous color, but it also symbolizes being a baby again, being born again. Um, so the person turning 60 on their 60th birthday will have this uh, special red vest and this kind of um, 
bouffant hat. The vest is called a chanchanko. And sometimes they hold a fan. They have this kind of outfit they wear. And uh, yeah, so from age 60, it symbolizes, uh, like I said, being born again. And um, if you have family members, traditionally, you would kind of pass responsibility to them. Um, it's a time to try new things, to reflect on your life. Okay. Uh, so, yes, that's what it's all about. Now, that is interesting because in Ireland and I would Mm. imagine in in many Western countries we would say life begins at 40 there Mm. is that catchphrase but there's such a beautiful sense then to to Can Reiki then that actually life re-begins at 60. That's That's it that's the idea. That's wonderful Um, and you mentioned there are some of the themes uh, Mm. that idea of reflection and looking back and that idea of of passing on responsibility as well. Um, does that coincide then at the age of 60? W- would it coincide, for example, with something like retirement, perhaps? Um, a lot of companies in Japan uh, uh, have the retirement age at 65. So I think it's changed. You know, if, if you look back through history, um, at one time, you know, um, people weren't living as long as they were now. So um, 60 really did seem, you know, much older than it does now. Of course, people live so much, you know, longer now. Um, But it is still carried on as 60 because of that Chinese zodiac and the idea of going through, um, you know, the whole cycle. Um, But what's really interesting, too, we talked about Shigo-san and the um, important symbols being the crane and the turtle and the pine and the bamboo and the plum. And those symbols come up again in the Kandiki celebration. So oh. you would have uh, those, uh, you know, s- symbols on either gifts or decorations um, oh, for the wow. celebration. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that link there as well. It's that idea of, of transitioning yes. through the age as well. That's lovely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, if I'm fortunate enough to make it as far as 60, I will pay homage to, to Ken Reiki. Um, I might get dressed up in red and, and, <laughs> and, and wear a red hat and, and a red fan. Um, and in fact, what were some of the other items of, of clothing then that you'd wear as well? Oh, well, the, well, well um, sometimes there's a, a, like, like a white fan. That's all we'll hold. But the, the main things are the, the red vest called the chanchanko and the red bouffant hat. If you, okay. if you look up kandeki, the images, even on Google, you can see okay. lots of people dressed up. In, in Very good. I'll colors. do that. I'll do that. And in fact, what I'll try to do is I'll have a look online and see what images um, I can share on the Celebration Sessions Instagram page. It would be great to get visuals on, on, on that and indeed some of the other occasions that we've um, talked about as well. Karen, I've really enjoyed this chat. I, I won't keep you too much longer. I'm, I'm really appreciative. Uh, so, so thank you so much. And in fact, before we wrap up, I, I, I do just want to touch on writers in Kyoto. You're, you're a, a wonderful collective of published and, and self-published English language authors uh, working in, and, and living in Kyoto. T- tell us a little bit about writers in Kyoto. Okay. Uh, well, the group started in uh, 2015. Um, it was uh, founded by John Dougal, uh, who's an author of many books about Japan. Um, and uh, since we started, um, we've had many, many speakers, uh, many events. Um, we have a competition, a writing competition. And um, originally, it was started with the idea of 
uh, the members being writers in Kyoto, but um, actually we have members, over 70 paid up members from uh, you know, places around the world. So now it's more, more than being physically in Kyoto, more being people whose hearts are in Kyoto, who really oh, love Kyoto. Oh, yeah. That's nice. So, um, but it's it's been a wonderful way for uh, everyone interested in Kyoto and everyone interested in writing to come together because writing can be a very solitary uh, Indeed. work. <laughs> Indeed, it can. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and and I'd love to just mention the anthology as well. A, a superb body of work that that came from from writers in Kyoto. I believe it was published last July. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. So um, we have published four anthologies all together. Um, the latest is called Structures of Kyoto. Um, and like you said, it was published last July and um, edited by myself and uh, author Rebecca Otowa. Um, and uh, 23 contributors about wow. uh, many aspects of Japan. So... Wow. Yeah, I hope many people will get a chance to read it. Yeah. Oh, indeed. That's fantastic. Well, look, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put the links to that and, and to the Writers in Kyoto website as well. What I'll do is I'll put the links uh, into the episode description. And to the listeners, I, I really would encourage listeners to go and, and, and check that out. Check not only the group out, but the anthology as as well, because I did have a look at it online and it is fantastic and and like you say and you you are articulated it so well there for anyone whose heart is in Kyoto and I know mm-hmm. if you've ever visited Kyoto you'll have left your heart there because <laughs> it's it's such a beautiful place um there's one more thing as well uh, that I really want to share with our listeners too it is the writers in Kyoto writing competition oh thank you yeah so uh this year we're having our seventh annual Kyoto writing competition. Um, the deadline is March 31st. We accept submissions from anywhere in the world, up to 300 words. Uh, yes, and uh, we have some really exciting prizes. Um, there's a 50,000 yen cash prize this year. My word. Um, and we've also gotten the support of uh, Kyoto City Hall this year. So the, the top prize is the Kyoto City Mayoral Prize. And uh, there are all kinds of other exciting prizes as well. So... I hope uh, people will consider submitting their work. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is important to say, certainly for Irish listeners, um, for example, I know of of a few listeners uh, around the world as well. Uh, This is open to people from everywhere. Oh, definitely. Super, super. We, We accept submissions from anywhere, yes. Super. And again, I will put the link into the episode description as well. Um, My brain is already percolating. Like, <laughs> could I get involved in this? What stories could I tell? Yes, what what, yes. what could I share? <laughs> so what could it be then? Can it be a poem, a piece of narrative perhaps? or uh, It can be anything, anything, but as long as it's on the theme of Kyoto. Excellent. Well, yes. I will let that percolate in my brain now for, for a while as well. <laughs> Karen Lee Tawariyama, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very special to connect with you. I really, really appreciate your your generosity of time and your enthusiasm as well in getting involved and, 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 and sharing this this wonderful chat. Hopefully, as I said earlier on, if, if travel allows us, hopefully I'll be able to, to get in a plane and return to the stunning city of, of Kyoto. And if I do, I will let you know and we'll have a sake 
<laughs> Definitely. Connor, I am so looking forward to meeting you the next time you come to Kyoto. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm wishing you the very best health and happiness for 2022. Thank you so much for joining me on the Celebration Sessions podcast. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. Well, I've no doubt listeners got an awful lot from that. Uh, it's 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 lovely to think how milestones and, and rites of passages can be celebrated around the world. And indeed, as we settle into the new year, And as I say in the opening to this podcast, this is really a reminder of how important it is now, more than ever, and certainly after everything we've gone through in the last few years, how important it is now, more than ever, to celebrate. So don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for joining me once again. Till the next time, stay safe, take care. This has been the Celebration Sessions Podcast. (laughs) 